Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance and part two with Stephen Van Meter. Steve is a financial planner, portfolio manager, and an increasingly recognized commentator on macroeconomics and the global financial system. He's been a guest on Real Vision and Macro Voices multiple times, sharing his approach to analyzing and capitalizing on market opportunities. He's also the host of a YouTube channel, The Macro Show, where over 50,000 subscribers tune in to hear his views and commentary. In this episode, Stephen opens up for the first time publicly about his personal struggles. He then shared the backstory which connects him to a fan of his YouTube show. We also get into a discussion on predictions on the economy and a debate over inflation and deflation and how this is going to apply to business owners. Be sure to check out Stephen's show on YouTube. The links are in the show notes. And enjoy this show here, and be sure to tune in to part one if you missed that. As you were talking through this, I started thinking about social media and sharing and vulnerability. And, and then also kind of like what you shared with me earlier, like the resilience of yourself and how you've been able to build your career. And, and I think that there's like, I think it's important, actually, you told me some, some stuff about from a health standpoint. Do you want to get into that? Because I think there might be an important message there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we look at disadvantages or, or disabilities or things and, and it's like, oh, that person can never, never be successful. And it's like, and, uh, that's not true at all. So it's kind of a really interesting story. I've never told anybody. This is something that is only amongst private circles. And I don't have a problem talking about it. It just wasn't a place on my show to actually, you know, tell people. So what happened about 10 years ago, I was at the doctor and there was an abnormality of a blood test. And my, my GP, he's really cool about like, hey, if he doesn't really know something, he's going to send you someone who does. And I respect that. As a professional, I absolutely 100% respect that. So I, I go to a specialist. And the guy was terrible communicating, and all I wanted to do is draw my blood all a lot. Like there was not every month or two, I was in there, and yeah, I mean, I'm cool with that. But after a while, we all get tired of you don't get focused, you know. And, <laughs> and he would kind of walk in the room, he pulled the thing, he mumbled something, and be like, "Come back in a month." And he closed the thing and walked away. And this was going, I mean, this went on too long. I mean, six months, nine months, and I was fine. I was, you know, I was going to gym, you know, everything. And finally, I'm like, "So what's the deal?" And he said, "Look." you're going to die and I'm going to save your life because you're here at the right time. I'm like, dude, I've been here for like a year and I had no idea. In fact, I had been sick. Like I barely had a cold and I'm no, no, come back, come back and test your blood again. You know, we're all, you know, when the numbers get this level, I'm going to save your life. So finally, this is a year and a half in and I am sick and tired of it. So he does his normal thing, comes in, mumbles and leaves. And finally I asked his sister, I'm like, what, what's going on? And she's like, I'll go again. So he comes back in and he's like, I can't give you an official, I'm not giving you a diagnosis, but I think you have bone cancer, which is one of the most terminal types of cancer you can get. 
and I could save your life because you're here at the right place at the right time. We can get this thing done soon. I'm like, you think I have the most trouble cancer in history? And for a year and a half, we can't get the numbers to go in to get high enough for you to do anything. So I'm thinking, right, like this story doesn't make any Like I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I got mad at the whole medical, you know, community for a while. I stopped going to the doctor because it was like this doesn't make any sense. Like this is an add-up. Well, fast forward. So now I'm doing the YouTube show. Still no answer to what this thing is or why it even matters. Like, no, I mean, it's still alive. Doctor was like, you should do this. I did it for a while. The numbers didn't change. I quit doing it. He didn't tell me why I was supposed to be doing what I was taking this thing I was supposed to take. So I'm doing the show and I get an email from an ER doctor in New York. And he says, Steve, love your show. Big fan. And you know, you've know, you really been helpful to me. No, oh, by the way, you know, I've been in, you know, this was during COVID and he, you know, and he's like, I'm in the heat of this. If you ever have any questions, you know, shoot me an email. You've been so helpful to me. I can't give back to you, but maybe I can give back in any different way. Hmm. So at the time, my wife's youngest, he was, he uh, was selling cars and on his way to work, he came by, you know, the house and he was in the house five minutes. He and my wife both wearing masks. And on his way to work, he gets a call and says, you test pop, which wasn't surprising because if you hear the stories about people are coming to dealership at the time, I mean, it's like, you think the whole place would get infected. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to worry. My wife's running because she was one year out of a major back surgery. She had two-thirds of her back as metal. She was cut, you know, from the neck to her spine, eight and a half hour surgery. The trauma of her just being in the hospital was enough to say, we don't want, we don't need her back in there because there's going to be a lot of collateral damage just from her mental state. And so I don't like, you know, someone reaching out to other people that are busy because, you know, I, that's just not who I am. But I emailed him and said, hey man, like, well, what do we need to know? What do we need to worry about? What do we need to do? And so he was really nice. He wrote and this back. is going back to the yeah. ER doctor. Your ER friend doctor. who watches yeah. your show. Yeah. yeah, he says, look, Steve, I've been in the ER. I've seen everything fall line. I haven't got it. Here's all the things you really need to know. Here's the truth. You know, this is what your wife needs to worry about, not worry about. This is what, you know, he needs to do. And so I just asked him in the email, he says, oh, by the way, if you have anything else, I'll do that. And I wrote back saying, man, I really appreciate it. By the way, I have this thing that's been going on for like 10 years and no one's ever given me an answer. And he writes back, he goes, I love diagnostic medicine. Here's my encrypted work email. And I had checked him out. I mean, he was legit. He was who he said he was. He said, oh, by the way, my wife's a doctor too. And because I work at the hospital, like between the two of us, we know a ton of doctors and like, I'll help you find the answer. <laughs> it's this guy nuts, right? I mean, like, why is he helping me? But he was so cool, right? So I sent him an email and described the best I can what had gone on. And he writes back, and this is pretty late at the night, because I know you know he would told me he was working you know fairly early in the morning. And I get this email and he's like, okay, I'll summarize and say, this is what I think you have. You should immediately start doing what your doctor told you to do. You don't understand why he told you to do it, but you need to start doing it immediately. Like this, you are at risk and you don't know it. He's like, you probably, I think I know what you have. I think this is what it is. If it's not this, it could be one of these couple of things. And then he writes to me again and it says, this is from my wife. She's a doctor, right? He's, he's like, he tells her and then she's like, writes up an email, forwards it to him, forwards it to me. Then there's a third email. You know, here it is at like 10 o'clock at night, like my time, right? And it's gotta be, he's in the East Coast, so it's like, what, one o'clock there or something. And then he writes, he's like, here's my personal cell phone number. Here's my break tomorrow. Call me, do not forget, make you call me. This is serious. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I started doing what the doc said to do originally. He's like, it's don't worry, just call me tomorrow. I'll explain everything. So I call him up and he's like, look, you probably have a bone marrow disorder. It's likely genetic. And I had access to a lot of my medical blood tests. And so I start sending them to him. And he, you know, he's reading through the stuff. He's like, yep, 
He's like, look, Steve, there's a high probability this is what you got. If you don't have this, it's something real simple. And he's like, you've been given really bad advice. And I said, okay. Because one of the things, Corey, as I kind of told you earlier, is all my life I've been tired. Now, this just doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And the way I like to explain it is if you ever waken up in the morning and felt rested and had a great day where you've gotten everything accomplished, I've never had that happen. My day is all about energy management. I wake up sometimes as tired or more tired than I went to bed. And so by noon, one, two o'clock, man, my day is fading hard. And the more I'm either on the phone or doing interviews or meetings, any physical activity, it's even more exhausting. Even, you know, resting. You know, if we were sitting watching a movie, watching a sporting game or something, my body is doing something it doesn't need to do, and it's draining energy. So my whole life is exhaustion. People are like, well, why are you going on vacation? It's exhausting. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, it's exhaustion. And then I, I've always known I'm different, but I've never understood, like, anything to do with this. And, you know, I was always like, oh, you have some sleep-related issue, or, man, you don't, you're not eating healthy enough. It's always, like, and that makes sense, right? I mean, it's a logical thing. So this guy, this ER doctor in New York, says, hey, Steve, the good news is there's a genetic test they can do. They don't have to shove a giant needle in you like they had to do years ago. He's like, I want you to go to the university hospital because they're not profit motivated. We're like you were before where the guy was looking to put, you know, get you on chemo, which the guy was. He was very clear. That's what the goal was, was to get me on that. So go down there, tell them what's going on. I just want to point out to me, that's a very bizarre scenario, that profit motive there. And I'm not going to get deeper into it, but I just, no, but my he, God. He, yeah. He said, he goes, he said, private, you know, private hospitals are more, he's like, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but he's like on a university hospital, is more their staff and doctors are trained more to solve the problem and figure out and not just solve it, figure out what it is. Whereas other places, you know, depending on who you get to, they're looking they, to fill a room. They want to fill a room, get your own drug, wow. you know, they want to do something. Yeah. So fortunately I went down to where my uh, Cedar Sinai in Beverly Hills where my wife had her surgery and we contacted her doctor and her doctor said, look, I'm gonna send you the best doctor in the system. One of those great things when you know your insurance cover something. <laughs> so here it is, I think it was about a year ago now. So it was in the middle, in the middle of the pandemic. I'm going down. And I know it was because I remember um, the doctor said, she goes, you don't have this. You have something else. You're in the wrong place. But since you're here and you do have some abnormal lab stuff, let's, let's, we'll run a bunch of these tests. Just, you know, but I'm telling you, it's not, you're at a hematologist. You need somebody else. I'm like, well, who? I don't know, but not me. I'm like, that's weird. And then she goes, because I don't think what you have is true. And this COVID thing's going on. We're going to put a low priority on your test. So we'll get the results when we get them. But yeah, it'll take a while, but I don't know. <laughs> so it was like, all right, well, maybe, you know what? Hey, if you're the expert and you say, I don't have this, it's cool. I, but my buddy in you know New York, I kind of had a hunch she was right, especially when you live with somebody. She goes, yeah, the fatigue thing is not true. Well, I looked up and sure enough, half the people that had what, you know, what the ER doctor said, it was right. They, you know, they, they have fatigue and it's very, yeah. some people, it's debilitating. Some people, it's very minor. Well, one of the advantages I had is the lab results, because we're all you know, automated now, right? On the phone app or website, the lab results came. So because I got the lab results before I had the next consultation, because they wouldn't schedule the next one until they had the results, I just printed them and sent them to my body, right? I'm like, hey, dude, yeah. here's the results. Like, I don't know what they mean, but some said yes. Right? Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, well, he got it, right? He immediately calls me up, like, dude, you have it. Is it a yes or no? And then you got it. Like, you know, I was right. And I'm like, all right, so what does it mean? He goes, well, you're at stroke risk. You're, oh, at stroke risk, you said? Yeah, he's a sure. Okay. And, he was, and he was an ER doctor, right? So he's like, he's like, what I mean, dudes like you with this problem is you don't know you have the problem. 
and you get a blood clot. And he's like, guess where it's going to happen? We're like, probably in my brain. He's like, bingo. And he was like, you know, it's really hard to deal with when you're in the ER. Yeah, blood clots when the brain even worse. So he goes, the reason your doc put you on baby aspirin, which is a blood thinner, is because it gets these, your, your blood swirl around because he's like, your body is creating extra platelets. And then your body, the other part of your body is like, hey, you got too many of these things. We got to destroy them. It's like the fatigue is from the fact that you're constantly. Oh, I see. You're kind of cycling through, producing and battling them out. It's like coming home from work and leaving your car idling all night. I mean, it's literally like this process cannot stop. It does not stop. There's no cure. There's no pill. There's no surgery. It's it's to that. This is the way I was manufactured. And so. I then turn around, okay, so now that I know what it is, and now all of a sudden, it's one of those things, like, all of a sudden, my whole life starts to make sense. Why have I always done things this way, that way? Because I'm really good at automating. You give me a task, I'll figure out the easiest way to do it, because I don't have the energy to do it the way everyone else Right, yeah, yeah. It's almost uh, self-medicating in a way. Yeah, so I called my buddy, who was uh, born with cerebral palsy, and he was a high school teacher, had a very successful career. And I called him up and I'm like, dude, I'm now kind of like you, man. I'm disabled. And he's like, so tell me. So I tell him the story. And he's like, and he's a psychologist, which is even better, a retired psychologist. And I said, so man, what do I need to do? And he goes, Steve, you know me, you know, I can't do yard work, run marathons. Like I got two canes. And he's like, but I'm like, man, but you had a really successful career. And he's like, I did because he's like, I didn't focus on what I can't do. I focused on what I could do. And then I said, how much can I do it? And he's like, you know, I have some skills. I can teach, I can get up early, and I can stay up late, and I can work mm. weekends. And I worked when the district called us and we have, he says, yes, I will be there. Just tell me when and where. And he's like, so I'd go and do stuff before school in one place. I'd drive to the club, my normal place, teach class. Then I do the after school, then I do the after after thing. And he's like, then I do the weekend stuff. He's like, I do anything where I could drive there and get there because that was my structure. Yeah. And he was so successful that he was making more money as a teacher than principals, and they had a meeting about it. And they call him in, and they're like, look, we got a problem. He goes, are you guys my mommy? Because you guys call me and ask me to do it, and I show up. And I mm-hmm. get paid. So, so you see, my advice for you is start looking at your life. Your strong points are in the morning, so you need to do any heavy thinking, you know, any physical tasks, all that in the morning, because you're going to start fading in the afternoon. Now, my the, the, the ER doctor, he said, Start drinking like unsweetened iced tea, stop drinking soda, get the little caffeine, it'll help you out. But the idea is easy. So my buddy said, transform your life. Focus on your strengths, stop doing things that are a waste of time. And you know, we come back to right spending time in your business. And I did. And so I started saying, look, I'm not gonna do this anymore, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I need to get things working online. And it was one of those place things where, you know, we come back to where we originally talked about is. I started the YouTube show because I didn't want to pay for a private server to host my videos to my clients, right? That's where this all started. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, I'm facing this reality of, like, I'm not going to be able to go out and hustle, you know, the normal way you do this business. is I'm going to have to get on the leading edge and really get somehow make this thing online. And if you want to talk about a guy being at the right place at the right time, the pandemic completely changed my business because here I'm finding out about this. Here I am already working down that path and I take all this negative feedback and positive feedback and I continue to try to make the show better. And I didn't know the show was going to turn into what it did. I had no clue. And then you talk about getting breaks, you know, Martin Morse from Digital Financial Analytics, he gave me a break and said, I'm going to bring you on my show, my first interview. And that went well. And then next thing you know, I said stuff from my fans like, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. 
And I had people reach out and say, hey, you know what? I, run, I manage YouTube channels for a living. I will audit your channel and tell you what to do. And then I had other people, hey, I know this and I'll tell you how to fix it. And I don't like, hey, you yeah. don't know, but you're doing this wrong. Let me help you. And then, you know, I had some other great contributors. You have uh, Bill Stenzel, who has a, a Johnny Bravo show, and Mark Moss. And, you know, you start getting out of the community. These guys were really cool. And they had me on an interview and said, hey, by the way, we, you're a really cool guy. You know, we're going to help you out. And then I got the call from, you know, we talked about from Brent Johnson to go on Real Vision. And then eventually, you know, that spurred other interviews. And just, you know, I remember I, I was on Twitter, but I wasn't allowed to post it a compliance. And before my first post, I had like a thousand followers because of Brent. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, it all comes back to, you know, you start to look at business, you know, or successful people or people that, man, he got, you know, people were very, you just got lucky. It's like, now you don't know. You don't know the years that I put in making crummy videos of my clients, trying to figure this out. I remember way back when saying, someday this stuff I'm doing in front of the camera is going to mean something. And it's going to take me somewhere big. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. If it wasn't for the pandemic, if it wasn't for you know, me you know, putting time in my business and it wasn't for my fans and some of the people, again, you know, like Martin and Brent and Ralph Powell, you know, I mean, Brent called Ralph Powell and said, I want to bring Steve on. And he's like, yeah, all right, we'll give him a shot. You know, I mean, so people gave me a chance and then, you know, I stepped up to the plate and I remember after Brent called me, I went home to my wife, I said, this opportunity to go on Real Vision and she kind of knew but didn't know really, I mean, we actually told her what Real Vision was. This opportunity is going to change our future. It's going to change everything. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say, you know, you're dreamers, right? And someday, right, when this happens, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go into here. And I'm going to up. And, right, and people that know them, right, they're standing from the, in the background and they see these opportunities, right, walk right, right back and forth yeah. in front of them. Now, you know, whether you believe in God or you just believe in this, how the world works, it doesn't, you know, you can take it any way you want, but I'll just say something, the world gives people opportunities. And it only gives you so many of them before the world realizes that you're not, you're not ready. You can't handle it. You know, yeah, you're not going to take you're not going to take the chance to put yourself out there to take that risk to get it. Right. And so when Real Vision scheduled an interview, it was like four weeks out. And because at this point now I knew about my health issue, Brent said hey, we, it would be really preferable to have in the afternoon. And, and I didn't tell him at the time, but I forced it into the morning because I knew I had to get at the best possible time for me. And then I spent the next three weeks really refining what we were going to, what I was going to talk about. He and I had a couple of phone calls because he's like, I want to make you look good. And I said, look, I, I want to make you and Raul look good for giving me the opportunity. Cause I just, I always assume that these are one time changes. You know, I, yeah, I yeah. at the end of the macro voices interview, I think Eric, you see, you're, you, what you do to the community, the financial community and bring these guests on. I said, I realized I may never ever be invited to be on your show again. And I just want to thank you for this opportunity. And the thank you is I prepared. I will prepare to come on to your show if you tell me what yeah. you want. And I did that. And I think that's something that people don't realize is, you know, you have to be as a business, recognize opportunities when they come out there. And then you have to say, look, I'm, uh, this is a good, offer. this is a potential to change my business, change things. And I'm going to prepare for it. Now in the middle of that, once the word broke, I was going on real vision. I was getting, I mean, it all of a sudden it was like, I was doing three interviews a week because everyone was like, well, we'll front run this, which is brilliant. Right. I mean, you had all these, you know, perhaps B or C level, you know, podcasts or YouTube shows are like, man, I, if this guy's a potential star in the making and, and nobody knew, right? And they just yeah. knew I was the underdog. Maybe he will take a chance and say, I had him on first, which is brilliant. I mean, just smart thinking by some of these people. And, you know, I, and we can go back to my friend, Chris Dark, who really kind of pushed and, and made some of these connections happen. And some of my fans got me on a lot of these shows too. 
And, you know, when that opportunity came to be on Real Vision, I hit it out of the park and I didn't even know, but it would later come back that, you know, I was one of their top watched interviews, you know, that year. And, and man, one of my fans, I mean, you know, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, not only did they watch it, but it became, I think it's in their top 10 of their YouTube, on their YouTube uh, channel. I think it's in the top 10, which is just, I mean, here I am just, you know, I'm not really at anybody in this business. I'm just a little guy in a little town, you know, I mean, and here I was given the opportunity to be on the big stage but you know i think where i the opportunity is for other people is you have to be in a place where you can see this stuff coming and you have to prepare for it and yeah. what happens on that right not only did that change but now of my business change and people started going to my website which is crummy if you've ever been to my website it's not the prettiest thing because i do it myself and people start saying hey you know maybe i want to be your client i'm like what like <laughs> I, like i didn't think that was going to happen and so i realized that i need to fix my menu, right? My website and start putting more out there. But because my energy level, what started originally was I was doing these one-time meeting, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting on Zoom. And I was talking about, I had created a formula-based strategy. Now, why would I create a formula-based strategy? Because a guy that doesn't have a lot of energy can make sure on the day he needs to run his formula and rebalance his strategy, he can do it. And this bandwidth thing was great. I mean, it's a phenomenal strategy. So I did what everyone said not to do, which included I, I contacted my publicist. I had an internet marketing guy, a coach, a consultant that I, that I have uh, on the retainer. And I put everything, I, I built a website and I put everything on there. And, and it was like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You should put an email opt-in and email people. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't email people every day. I don't, I don't know that I'll be able to commit to that. I don't physically have the energy. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, like going to restaurant, I'm just going to put the whole menu out there. And, hmm. and when phone calls or means if they had a question, then I would go back and I'd put the question somewhere on the website. Yeah. And it literally is step by step. Here's everything about it, everything you want to know about it, and here's how to get started. And this, you know, it's amazing that I can look back 12 months, you know, ago and say, look, I got some really bad news. You know, I found out that my body is not like everyone else's and that that is probably going to only get worse as we get older, because we get older, we get, you know, our bodies, you know, slow down. And I could use that as an opportunity to give up. And I used it as a way to say, you know what? I'm going to use this to my advantage and I'm going to use this pandemic to my advantage and I'm going to use the skills that I am good at to get better. And my business is completely different than it was 12 months from now. And, you know, I have phenomenal fans that support the show, watch the show. You know, it's amazing. I've been able to get business from, you know, people coming, you know, want to be clients because they see, you know, hey, this is a really great strategy. It works really great. And then now I'm looking even forward. I know before the show I sent you, a, you know, I'm working on a newsletter. Why? Because some of my fans say, look, I don't want to be your client. It's not my thing. I don't hire people. And some be like, look, I'm in Canada or Australia. Or I can't be your client. You know, you, you don't have the right licenses. You're, you're just, yeah. you know, and, and so I thought, wow, what do people want? And the feedback I got is we, we want something that gives us, you know, buy a cell signal. I didn't want to do that. And finally, you know, and my walks on the neighborhood and that I'm thinking about my business, like, you know what, can I take some of these tools that I built for myself and my clients and create something for other people. And the answer was, yeah, I could. So I sent you that so you can get the idea. It's not unfortunately approved for, you know, because I have compliance and stuff we have to get through. And yeah, as I'm thinking of my fans, my plans, I'm going to give it away for a while and say, hey, thank you for supporting me. And, and let's work this tool out. Maybe there's some feedback you can give me because what I've learned is my fans are amazing. And I respect their feedback and I listen to them. And I don't always do what they say and they know it. But, you know, sometimes you get some, you know, it could be just like, hey, this tool is really great, but your layout sucks. And let me give you a better way to do it. I mean, 
it's just incredible. I mean, yeah. my fans are amazing. I wish I could, if I could sing them more breathe. I don't know how I could do it. I want to give back to them for what they've given me. Yeah, you know, there's so much there, man. I think it's remarkable how you've been able to, and, and just your personal mindset of, of being able to build from what others might find as a complete downfall, right? And instead of making excuses, he made it into an actual opportunity and really started to pull these things together. It also reminds me of something I read about quit focusing on trying to build on your areas where you're weak. Just focus on your strong points and refine them, be better at them. And then you, you kind of done that. And I think that's really remarkable. So, and then the other man, I got to say, it's like, you do a hell of a job. You've built a really remarkable show. You obviously have earned the respect of some of the biggest names in the, the macro industry, if you will, the macro financial world, but you're so humble about it. So I think that's really cool. I mean, it's an honor, I mean, to be invited on the Real Vision and the Macro Voices and many of the other channels that I listen to, got content to. I mean, even, I mean, it's amazing when, you know, you kind of grow up, so to speak, in the macro, in my macro phase where I was a child and learning, you know, and not physically a child, obviously, but, you know, in the childlike mindset of learning macro to be invited to even be, you know, at the same level as, you know, these people I have huge respect for. And then, you know, you have people like Bill Kalinowski, one day he reached out to me on Twitter and said, how would you like to interview Jeff Snyder? I'm like, what? Like this guy, I mean, like Jeff's one of those guys where you don't understand half of what he says, but you got to read his stuff and follow him and, and really dig into it because he'll give you the pieces, but he wants you to understand. He wants you to learn. He challenges you, you know, and then to, to have someone like that and to put me at the same level, which I don't consider myself at the same level as Jeff, but just to even be considered, you know, at his caliber to be in, to do an interview. and it's just amazing all the wonderful people like Tracy Futar. She's just, you know, the, the, the oil expert. I mean, you find out that there is this upper echelon in the community where content producers, whether on social media or YouTube, podcasts, you know, there's a group. And if you need something or need to know something, you just put the feeler out. So if I want to know something about oil, I'm going to ask Tracy. I want to know something about currency stuff. I'm going to Brent or, yeah, Brent and, you know, plumbing system. I can go to Jeff. And what's cool is they might come back and say, hey, you know, I don't know, but, you know, I might know someone that knows. And, they want to help because we're all out here trying to educate people and help them be better. There's an interesting thing, eh? Interesting yeah, thing it, there of this, this willingness to help. Yeah. And that's not true with everyone because there are people out there that are trying to, you know, their business is making money at selling that information. But, you know, there's definitely a group out there. And I mean, the amount of stuff that I've learned because of them and, you know, because of connections they've had to get questions answered and, who, I mean, some of my fans, I mean, they find out, well, I work here. And if you ever need to know this, let me know. And sometimes I just get some random stuff like, hey, you you don't know this, but you you need to read this report that you can't get. But you need to read this one because it's something real important that you that you'll need to know. about. Yeah, you know, it's from my business. And, and you know, you, you would never see it just internal. But, you know, it's just created what I think has happened is created a community inside a bigger community. Because, again, early on, what did we talk about? I said there was this gap that I wanted filled for me. And then maybe a few other people, it turns out there's a lot of hungry people that want this information and, and they love the big shows on Real Vision and, and Macro Voices and all the other, they love that. I mean, they're great. But sometimes you want to know, you know, there was this big discussion one day about how people were misreading the ISM PMI data. And, you know, my buddy Chris Dark was like, look, you guys got this wrong. And next thing you know, this spurred like a big conversation on Twitter. And it turned out that there were some people that you thought should have known how this worked that didn't. And then it really just validated, uh, hey, I'm on the right path. I'm going to help people learn this. Now, what they do with it is up to them. But 
Yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. And I, yeah. if I tried to repeat it today, I, I couldn't. But if it wasn't yeah. for my fans, you and I wouldn't be here right now. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, I, two questions for you. How are you doing for time? I know we're over, but I just, I don't want to stop the conversation. Yeah, no, we're cool. All right. Well, so then the second question is perhaps going to be polarizing. What do you think of Bitcoin? Is it an asset class? Yeah, it's an asset class. So I have someone who holds a securities license. Now, I know the SEC has ruled that we're allowed to own it. There's a second layer which has to come down. It has to come down to your firm. So your firm has to be able to, has to make a ruling on it. Now, my firm is real small. My partner and I, the two owners, we have a, you know, a few other advisors. And he has not you know, said you can own it now. Because what a lot of people understand is everything that I do has, you know, if I, if I go to put a trade in, it has to be archived, it has to be logged, it has mm-hmm. to be a compliance review because if it turns out I'd say front running client trades for some reason, which I don't do, but you know, these things obviously happen out there. can world, happen in the industry. Right? There yeah. has to, there's a ton of regulation. So the issue then becomes is how is my partner who handles a compliance for our firm, how would he handle the fact if we bought it? So like, cause he might have to need to know. I mean, I don't know that. So the simple solution is I don't own it. It's not treated as an ETF or a mutual fund that I'm aware of, so I can't buy it for my clients. So I've just had to say, like, it's not something I participate in. And I wish all the people really well and that think it's going to infinity and beyond. I don't know that that's how it's going to work. And part of that is it hasn't been around long enough to see what happens going through a recession. And I think that's something that I, I like to come back to because you know, you're hoping like, oh, look, it's so-and-so's business real successful. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's because they started it after the recession and they've never been through a bad time. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say that about marriages, you know, you can have, you know, when do marriages fail? Well, when, when the people start having fights, if I like, or, or there's adversity that shows up in your marriage and how do you get through it? And the same is true with businesses. I don't care how well you do when things are doing good. In fact, I hope you should do really well. I want to know, where's your true character? Where's your staying power? How does this really work when things go wrong? I can't answer that on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Everyone says, don't worry, it's going to go up and up and up. Maybe it will. But remember, we trade dollars for Bitcoins, right? And if we're in dollar shortage, and that's getting worse because of the negative effects of QE, maybe it won't work the way people think. And so because I, so I'll just be full disclosure, I'm watching. I have never owned it. I've never owned any form of it. And I currently have no plans to own it. And I don't have approval from my firm to Yeah, own. yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, we talk like, you know, we're talking real vision. You could talk about Ralph Paul and, and you know, he sees it as being a million dollar a coin kind of thing. Or, he you know, he's, he's put out a lot of opinion about that. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm always curious to hear what others take on it is. And something that I saw in Bitcoin and in the whole crypto, but specifically Bitcoin was, how fascinating it is and how much it's built up a cult following and how this interesting connection between religion and Bitcoin. Oh, and I if you think that. about that, if you look at some of the major tenets of religion and, and the major kind of components of it, you have an individual who you know, is mythical and held to the highest regard, but nobody's ever known him. You know, Satoshi is that of Bitcoin the creator of Bitcoin, which nobody knows, but he came in to fight a villain and the villain being big government owning your money. And then you can carry on down that path of as Bitcoin evolved and the world of crypto evolved, you had the followers and then these followers, there was a faction in the belief and all of a sudden it breaks off and now you have Bitcoin cash 
And so if you look, you have this, this has happened in religion as well, where you have the Catholics and then you have the Lutherans and then you have, you know, it's happened throughout history that way. And so I just, I find, I know that's got nothing to do with the economics of it all, but I find it fascinating the relationships between the two and how it's built up. Where it's going to go, I have no idea. And full disclosure, I've been happy to have gambled with it for a few years and I've won some and I've lost some and it's a really interesting space. Yeah, I never actually considered it from that point of view, which is pretty fascinating. From the monetary side or the macro side, we can narrow down really quickly. Is the Fed going to say we're going to have Bitcoin as as a currency in the United States? No, that Hmm. is never going to happen. The Fed is never going to cede power to something it doesn't have control over. So everyone that thinks that the dollar is going to be replaced by Bitcoin or or any cryptocurrency not created by the Fed is wrong. That's not going to happen. So the Fed, will we eventually get a digital currency in the U.S.? You know, I kind of think we have one now because I actually, my wallet doesn't have paper currency. Yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. But will we have something that's say blockchain-based or something, or maybe a derivative of that? Sure, we will. There's just too much cash in the system, and and over time, we'll get there. But it will be created, and it will be controlled by the Fed. There's a 0% chance that they're going to use any existing form. The second problem that you'll have is, then people are saying, well, then there still will be transactions. Well, the government can't outlaw that. Remember, they did outlaw ownership of gold at one point. So it is possible That's they right. can say, look, we're not going to allow this. And if you transact in crypto, you're criminal. Well, you know, 99.9% of people will stop doing it because even if they think they can get away with it, they don't want to take the chance. The yep. federal government will never take Bitcoin as a tax payment. That's not going to happen. So even if you have all your money in Bitcoin and you go with taxes, you're still going to have to convert it back to dollars or whatever, you know, if dollars are gone, something else, either Bitcoin, whatever it will be. That's the issue. Then, as you mentioned, there's so many of them. Well, how do you know you have the right one? Do you buy all? I mean, are you going to go to the store and be like, well, well what are you, oh, you're taking doggy coin or caddy coin? I mean, like, what do you, <laughs> like, what do I have? Like, like that's not going to happen. It's too inefficient as a day-to-day, you know, you're not going to go down, to, you know, the fast food place and, you know, it transact your, your lunch and crypto. It's not, it's not, it wasn't designed for that. So you have some issues there. I look at the baby boomers. Overall, they have all the money. And when they start converting their assets to it and they're not, they don't understand it. I would imagine that most people that own it really don't understand. It. I mean, I yeah. kind of look at it as like, look, it's like, hey, there's an airplane and there's so many seats and you own a seat on it. Hey, that's great. Is that airplane going where you want to go? Is it really worth owning or is it there a different place you should be? I don't know. But it's got to have mass adoption. And I don't think the baby boomers are going to do that. I mean, they have been trendsetters. They're not going to jump on something their kids say because they're like, oh, you own some of this? Why would I want to buy after you? And that's not good. I think they might dabble a little bit in it. And I think some of them do. But I think overall, as a generational group, they're not going to do it. But that's, isn't that kind of thinking pretty retail? Because I mean, it seems that a lot of the narrative that's been out there is that you're starting to see institutions take interest in it. And have an ability to buy in. And, but then I guess the, the question that's always plagued me is like, so you buy into Bitcoin to do what with it? Are these institutions just playing along with the, the greater fool's theory of it just, it should keep going up until we just got to step on out and let everybody else hold the bag. Like, I don't understand why it's going to, to reach a million kind of thing or to even go to a hundred thousand. I don't understand. It could go to those levels, but people say they're holders. Well, some point you're going to be a seller. And when you do, you're going to have, you know, the IRS is really not happy about people not paying tax on their crypto gains. As you probably are, you know, I don't know if you're aware of Yeah, that. no, Canada makes you pay it. Yeah. And they'll, they'll figure it out. Now, do I think 
what Tesla did by, you know, saying, look, I didn't really need to buy crypto to do this, but I think, you know, I think Elon wanted to do that to say, hey, we're showing support is, you know, car sales are not great. He over, I mean, just if you look at not, I'm not saying Tesla vehicle sales. I'm just saying if you look at car sales, which is their market, are slowly declining, truck sales are up. And you say, okay, the EV market, which Tesla was a front runner on, is getting saturated with competitive products. And I'd argue that some of them are better. And I argue from a warranty perspective, they're 100 percent better. Yeah, you know, I'm on my third EV. I've never owned a Tesla. And um, because, you know, again, we come back to my you know medical stuff is I don't want to be in a position where my car potentially goes off for warranty and I don't know if it ever is coming back. I mean, there I don't know if this is better, but there's been a lot of horror stories of people when they're Teslas, and I get that. You know, my second EV was a Chevy Bolt. There was a, a battery defect that the factory caught. I had a new battery in 48 hours. I mean, they've airshipped the battery to the local dealership and I took it down and they replaced it. I mean, mm. that wouldn't have happened. Maybe someday that will be true with Tesla. I don't know if that's true now. So I buy things that I know I can get taken care of. And I think these other products are doing a great job. So what is Elon's brilliant decision with you know, going down this route of, of putting money in Bitcoin? Because he's telling all the people that are buying Bitcoin and making money, sell some of it and buy one of my cars. And I'll make it easy. You don't have to sell it. Hmm. I thought that was brilliant. Now, is it working? I don't know. I don't know if they're reporting transacting you know, car sales in Bitcoin. I mean, if it works, great. And I think businesses are just taking, you know, they're taking risks though, right? I mean, because if I was in a retail business, then I could take, say, Bitcoin, what's my risk? It, well, I just sell you something and what I get went down 10% that night. Yeah. So they are taking a risk. Now, the question is, when they get it, how quickly are they converting it to dollars? Maybe they're doing it real quickly. We don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, it's easy that the companies can say they're taking it, but what are they doing behind the scenes? I mean, there's just too many things here. You know, I think from a banking perspective, intra-banking perspective, I think there's other you know, uses that, are, that we'll see it really, you know, or cryptocurrencies be widely used? Absolutely. Do I think, again, at a retail level, which is where you really need mass adoption, you really need people to want to use these things. Look, the Fed and the IRS alone can put a halt to this. And you know, we're starting to see some of that around some other countries, but the notion that there's going to be this whole black market currency thing that is going to exist outside the your main, you know, currencies for countries. Yeah, will it exist? Yeah, but will you be able to transact in it? Yeah. I tell you what, the one one thing I found with the world of cryptos is it's even now it's a lot of freaking work and it's quite a pain in the arse to buy and trade. Yeah, and, and so uh, quickly, right? I and mean, you can make a lot of money. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think, I don't think about the money in my in my bank account losing ten percent tomorrow or gaining ten percent tomorrow. I mean, great if it went up that much, but it's not going to. Yeah, and but you don't have these wild volatilities, right. volatility waves. Yeah. But one of the things I think about it is people, you know, and you, you think about recessions and why do people sell at the bottom? I mean, it's so common. I mean, people should buy the bonds still at the top. They never do. Even, I mean, they just sell stuff when it's down. I mean, it's, it's poor management of their investments. But what's the real reason you see this and why I think people will sell crypto as things get, you know, the economy get worse is because, you know, let's say you're married and you got a couple of kids at home and you lost your job and your spouse lost their job and you're at home and like, well, you know, the, the unemployment's running out or it's not enough. And we've got, you know, this big home, this leverage out and cars and credit card debt. And the, you got to put food on the table for the kids, right? Now, do you want to close out your 401k? What do you want to pay the taxes and potentially the early withdrawal penalty if you're under 59 and a half? Eh, no, usually people don't want to do that. So what is the next thing? Well, why does gold get sold? Because it's physical. A lot of people will have some coins and they'll go sell. Well, what will happen with crypto, right? 
she might say like, well, honey, I didn't, thought you had some of that, you know, what was that coin? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I got some of the, uh, the Bitcoins and other stuff. Yeah, well, how much you got in that? I got, you know, 10 grams, sell it. If we got to put food on the table. We got, you know, are you going to let your car, you know, you're going to let it default on your home. You're going to, you know, let the you know, bank take your car back because you need, at some point, you're going to need your car to go for the job. You know, so you start thinking about like, why do people sell them off? They need money. And after tax investments, which would fall under cryptocurrencies, physical metals, easy to sell. And if you get enough people selling that, you know, that's where I said, I need to see how this thing runs through a cycle before I really get excited about it. Because I have a hunch that people are going to be forced to sell in it because they need the money. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Awesome. Man. Yeah. And then the question is, what will they get? Will they be able to get the help? Will they get their money? I, there's just too many. Well, oh, Jesus, when it swings 20% in, you know, in a week kind of thing, or even sometimes in a day. <laughs> it's, right, uh, it's, it's like a slot machine almost, right? You're putting dollars yeah. in, expecting to get dollars out. The question is, what if there's nobody putting dollars in on the other end? Yeah. I mean, the, I know some people are shaking their heads or listening right now. So I guess you're an idiot. I'm like, look, I know. But I think about things that other people don't think about because when I put my money out, I want to think about how it's coming back. And frankly, what if I have a bunch of money out of crypto and I go to cash it in and the machine says there's only Renimbi right now? Mm. Well, I can't get that. I can't pay my mortgage with that. Like, that's a problem. So now I got to get that, go convert that. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is there's just too many unknowns for me to, to, to take that kind of risk with my money. I mean, if I was younger and didn't have, you know, what things about myself that I knew, I'm sure I might take a flyer on. For me, um, you know what? I'll be very happy for all the people that are going to get very, very rich you know, taking that risk because kudos to them. And if I'm not one of them, then there'll be other opportunities. Yeah, there you go. Let's end with a final question. I probably should have asked this writer early on is when you think about your work and research and analysis in macro investing, what paradigm do you have or what kind of framework do you use? Is there a step-by-step way you go about putting together your analysis and arguments for what you see and what you believe? Yeah, I like the longer term cycles. I mean, obviously I run a business, so I don't want to be sitting here day trading. So I like to look at the longer cycles because it's, you know, that's how you make money. I mean, some of the most successful people in the world. I mean, if you go study, you know, who's gotten rich and I'm not trying to be a billionaire and nor do I even, that not saying that, you know, but you look at how people get successful. They don't make it in short-term things. They make it in long-term work. You know, people understand when you get a college degree, that's macro, right? You're spending four more years become a, you know, an expert or a specialist in a certain field or area of study that you're going to spend 20, 30, 40 years doing. That's macro. So if we were all doing day trading, then why aren't we constantly changing jobs and changing this and changing our clothes and, you know, on all this? Because that's what we're doing with stocks and investments. They were constantly trading them. I look at longer term cycles now. More recently, I've been I'm, for years. I've been really interested in the cycles around the ISM factory data and the diffusion indices. Sorry, can you decipher that for me? What? Yeah, the, the ISM is the industry of supply management, and every month they put out a uh, metric that describes the direction of the factory sector over the prior month. So it's a really interesting proxy for the equity market, the bond market. The question is, is how close to it is, and unfortunately, it's monthly. So I'm kind of looking at, like, I like those cycles. I'm interested in that. I'm also very interested in momentum. I think momentum is something the market, you know, investors don't look at. They don't understand it. And I think it, 
Uh, in fact, I can prove that it often leaves stock prices or asset prices higher. And momentum is agnostic, which is great. It doesn't care if there's inflation or deflation. I can take a momentum screen, run across a broad number of assets and get you know, an answer back that doesn't require me to know what's going on in the monetary system or whatever I plug into. So if it's cryptocurrency or something, mm. I can plug it into the model. So I am very long wave cycle. I'm kind of, after I hit through the deflation, I think there's going to be a burst of inflation and that's where I'm going to kind of maybe adjust my cycles back a little bit, maybe follow the, try to follow the ISMs a little more, use my momentum tools because I've been running through them and they're phenomenal at, at picking up these directional changes. So, but the other side is, hey, if you miss a cycle, just ride through it. You, you, know, so, you know, I get a lot of crit, uh, criticism for missing this pandemic low, but you look at it and it's like, that was extremely risky to buy stocks on margin with leverage during a recession and a pandemic that's unheard of, it's unprecedented, but it paid yeah, off. Yeah, it would have been, it was a pretty big gamble. And it's yeah. surprising to me the number of people who I've seen who are very successful who called this all wrong. And yeah, I mean, it's surprising that those others who just jumped on it and have been incredibly, you know, fortunate for that. Right. But those who jumped on it also missed the decline. You don't hear people saying how they sold out before the crash. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. There's always another story. But if you look at really successful people, I mean, they focus on something and they they take long views. I mean, there was a great interview on Real Vision with Ralph Powell and Jeff Gunlock. And I... It's one of these things I listen to a lot of interviews, but there's generally just snippets that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the 30-second gem in that hour-long interview. Maybe, you know, for, for someone else listening to our talk today, they'll, they'll feel the same way. There was one thing that they really took away. And he said, yeah, I used to run my investment portfolios at three to five-year runs. And Raul asked him, like, but you don't do that anymore. And he's like, well, why did you? He's like, because that's where you make all your money. You take a long-term view, you place your bet, and you wait. And mm. the way you do it. And he's like, so why did you stop? He's like, well, we started pulling our clients because you know, we sensed there was, they, they couldn't handle that. And our own internal data came back and said, don't hold a position long. 18 months is it. That's as far as they want to go. As far as the clients do? And then they, he's like, and then they come back and say, well, how do you make so much money? He's like, because I take the five, five year length. And then he's like, well, I want to do that. Nah, you, no, no, you really don't because you can't. And then, then that's, so he found out that you know there a lot of their strategies now have gone down you know to eighteen months because you know that's what people can handle. They can't sit through the long cycle. They you know if something goes down, rather than buying more, they want to sell, and, and that's the problem. So I've adapted many of my things you know to that. I've learned some lessons not only personally but professionally from this, and so I built some tools that are going to be really great. You know that I'll eventually roll out. You know I've got the newsletter. I've got. Yeah, momentum strategy that I've, that's behind the scenes. It's really cool that at some point we'll see the light of day. I've got my existing strategy, which is already phenomenal. But yeah, I'm looking at adjusting that because if you can hit these cycles and you can hit them with some relatively high probability signals, you can do pretty well. And that's you know that's kind of my goal is is I don't have the energy to rebuild. I can't you know go and if I lose all my money, I can't go back. I mean, uh, yeah, I just can't restart. So so I, if you look at everything that I'm doing. I'm just looking at price and momentum and trying to create high probability signals. And it's not looking at technicals and not drawing lines on charts. You know, there's one thing that really matters is price. And then the price can be expressed in terms of its momentum, put the two together and it gets pretty interesting. So 
it's pretty yeah. exciting, you know, to be developing investment strategies. Something I never thought I did, but obviously I invented one that's, you know, phenomenal, better than anything in the industry, but the industry doesn't care. Won't even look at it. But going on, yeah, my cycles are going to shorter a little bit and only because I think there's really something to this. I am, I know there is, I've looked at the data. I just have to figure out a way to make it work within the way I wanted to. So we'll see. It's pretty exciting. Interesting. I, you know, I was like, oh, well, maybe that's a, a reason for us to have another interview because I'd like to discuss more about it and yeah. and see. Uh, but man, I look here, you know, we I usually keep these within an hour, but we're pushing two hours. So yeah, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Why don't we wrap up and then we'll, uh, yeah, maybe we'll reconvene another time. But I want to say, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. And you got a great story and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, Corey, it was, it was an absolute pleasure. I, I really hope your fans and my fans get some value out of this. And I hope business owners, you know, can really maybe find a place for macro in their in their day and find a place to spend some time in their business because I, I think there's there's some few gems that I've learned from other people that hope I can impart to them to hopefully be more successful. And then for those who are just in the right place at the right time, you know, like I told my wife soon, I says, look, when an opportunity comes. You need to embrace it and put 100% of your effort in because these opportunities don't come around and they'll change your life. Mm. And, you know, so it's exciting, you know, and I appreciate you having me on the show. And, and I know two hours a lot, ask people to listen, but maybe they'll, hopefully they will, and hopefully they'll see some value. Nice. Well, hey, man, thank you so much. All right. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.